I saw your tweet about it too. What did you think? That well, I agreed with your tweet above all else, and I think this was so many rich people stories. Which like, uh, what's her name? Felicity Huffman is getting sentenced on Friday for the college yeah, bribery thing. And she did the whole. She wrote a letter saying that she didn't understand motherhood and it stressed her out. Oh, and she said that I just wanted my daughter to have a fair shot, so I paid for her to have a not fair shot and because so, she has learning disabilities. So she was like, Well, well she- see, that would there are normal ways to make sure that mm-hmm. anyways. Whatever. Point being, you said it just reminded you of how much better you would be as a rich person than all rich people. And rich people are so bad at spending money. I don't understand. I would donate so much. I would be so productive. I would I would buy all sorts of crafting and woodworking stuff and books and sound equi- I would soundproof my apartment so I didn't have to hear idiots. I would start I would, my commune. Oh my gosh. I yeah. would travel all the time but also like just just I would give stuff to cats and Planned Parenthood. Not the musical cats. Cats. You don't want to support Real? the musical cats? No. Not as much. Yeah that piece uh, that was I was like you know hashtag rich people problems can't relate. Yeah it is. I did see one one of my friends Alexia Lafada who works for New York Magazine said that it reminded her of a lot of, like, toxic female friendships that she'd been familiar with. And I definitely recognized it, but I don't think I could relate even to the toxicity thing. I feel like, not to pat myself on the back too much, but I've always just kind of bailed when they get that imbalanced. Yeah. Like, I had a a friend in high school. Certainly not for seven years. I know. And at that age, like, I had a friend the night before high school. She's like, I want to be popular. So, essentially, like, get on the train or get off. And we were the only two going to the new high school. And I was like, no, no, that's really not my priority. And she was a real bitch to me for the first year. And she's like, do you ever notice how small Mackenzie's teeth are? And, you know, Mackenzie hasn't gotten her period yet. So, like. Who was she telling this to? Friends that she had and I didn't have. So, it was rough. But I was just like, no, I will not be your friend anymore. Fuck you, buddy. Wow, small teeth. That's a really specific. That reminds me of the scene in Mean Girls when they're all like looking in the mirror and she's like, oh my God, yes. my pores are huge. No, it's like, it's a thing that I had no idea I hated about myself. And then I was like, oh God. Do I have small teeth? I guess they said it, so it must be true. Some some dudes on Reddit once called me Big Bird because I have a really strong jawline. And they thought that. Wait, Big Bird doesn't even have a jaw. Are you kidding was, me? I still laugh about it because I'm like, I don't know. Fine, yeah, I'm I'm very tall, so I guess I, I I don't even know. It was a very weak insult, but he said it with such passion that I kind of had to respect. You had to sit and think about it for a second. I was like, am I big? Bro-? No, I don't know if I am. Wait. I don't think I care, but it's a you really seem really insult. confident though. Great. Cool. Anyways, this is exceedingly persuasive, just like that guy's argument. I am Mackenzie Brennan. I'm Brooke Rogers. Thank you for listening. And don't call us Big Bird or mock our teeth, please. We can't take it anymore we're recording today to shift tone here we're recording we're really bad at tone shifts by the way we do this you know a what? Lot. that's what we just America go straight is. into the deep dark 24 hour news cycle we're gonna talk about it's rich people and then straight to we're recording on 9-11 millennial women after dark <laughs> uh yeah so we're here in new york and so it is hard not to mark the fact of and significance of that I did see the two. Um, Where were you at 9-11? I was, I remember my mom waking me up. I think it was, it was nine, nine or ten, something, nine, right? Yeah. You were uh, in Arizona? Yeah, I was in Arizona. Okay. And I remember my mom woke me up and said there was a plane crash and they might talk about it at school. And I remember even at that point, <clears throat> like waking up and being that young, knowing just a plane crash would not merit you yeah. waking Getting me out of bed. Yeah, and we couldn't get in touch with my aunt because my mom's family is from New York and my aunt still lived here and worked as a lawyer in the city. 
and we couldn't get in touch with her because all the switchboards were maxed out. And so we're like, well, she's probably okay because she lived on Long Island, but we, I don't know. But was she visiting the city that day? Yeah, like she would work there fairly regularly. We lost um, a couple family friends. One was a firefighter, uh, Patrick O'Keefe, and one was a classmate of my mom and her family. And my ex-boyfriend's dad died. Wow, I didn't know that. Well, then my ex-boyfriend went on to marry my college roommate, so I don't talk about him a lot. It's fine. <laughs> He's not allowed to talk to me anymore. By his now wife. By his now wife. Oh, yeah, that's rough. Speaking of great tragedy. I remember, how you were eight? Was nine? Not eight or nine, okay. Is that right? What year were you born? 92. Okay, yeah. yeah. So you would have been about nine. I was, I think, well, I was about six. It was 2001. I was five, about turned six. Yeah, so that's though that gap in those ages is significant. I like do when you are it, though, that young. I didn't realize how later like the significance of it, but we were driving through Nebraska on our way to hmm. camp, and we stopped at a Walmart. We were I was like sitting in the Walmart parking lot, and my dad just came out and started talking to my mom, and said there was a a plane crash into right. the Twin Towers, and of course I didn't know any of like I didn't. All I remember was him talking about a, an attack, and then we all went to the Walmart. I remember seeing it on the TV briefly, oh. but it was – we were we were driving to the middle of nowhere to a Bible camp. So, you know, so many of my friends talk about how they watched it over and over and yeah. over again on TV that day, and it completely changed how they view – and for me, it wasn't – I remember it happening, and now I can look back and, and – remember what it was but at the time there was no the implications of it weren't there at all i I understand that i think being that far away and when you are under 10 i think the years do make a difference like between nine and six there is there's a different consciousness of your world and also when i think we had a connection to the city so i was more frightened Mm -hmm. of it and we did watch it in class i remember watching as the second tower fell and being kind of surprised and like looking around like that that that's a that's big thing. Like an that's important, a, yeah yeah <laughs> but yeah now i remember my dad talking about how so cheyenne where, where i'm from mm-hmm. actually has three missiles on mm. the uh warren air force base and i remember him talking about how it could like it could potentially be a target in future time because at that point no one knew it was happening and we were all oh, worried right. that it was going to be a, a nationwide thing who and, did what and what's the yeah, yeah. what are the next days going to look like before we move on to less somber and hopefully more influx topics of national politics, my coworker, I'm a court attorney. She's the only other court attorney for my judge. So we spend a lot of time together. She is older than I am. She worked downtown mm, and wow. lived downtown with her. Her daughter was one at the time. And so they they fled through the street. She had her stroller and she's like, the, the streets were just blocked off just surreal probably the closest personal friend and experience that i've i've heard but she did say we have to do these motion reports every 60 days of open motions and that's across the state every court in the the new york unified court system has to do these motion reports and they have very strict due dates she's like one was due the following monday and they did not move the deadline so you just, she has so she to, had to go oh back God. in, go downtown to the downtown courthouse that was, you know, blocks away and finish her motion report. Yeah, I still think about the fact that, you know, the Wall Street Journal, they moved to, uh, they basically moved to an apartment in New Jersey for the yeah. afternoon, finished it. The New York Post had a issue out the, out the next day. And, and I without think about, computers in the same way, yeah, it really... I, I can't even imagine what it would be like to be writing those stories as it happened and again just knowing you have to get the you have to get the news out the next day because it's such you an important, are what people are relying on you yeah, are this. It's such an, it's, yeah and at that point you know of course we had internet but it wasn't the same no and not so nearly. it was people got their news from papers and so and the, they're all linked to phone lines too so you think yeah. of, of the phone lines being tied up with very real emergency calls and people checking on their family members, I guarantee dial-up was not running super smoothly. Oh no! So <laughs> in the tri-state tr- at large, these newspapers trying to get the next issue out. Yeah, understanding that this is how people were going to get news about what happened, and just yeah, hearing about 
stories about people who worked in the Wall Street Journal offices, the post offices, things like that. So insane. And yeah, yeah anyway. So, um, and of course, we still see people dying of 9 11 related illnesses. This yeah, we is just not... had a hearing a couple months ago about yeah. extend. They, they did get extended the yeah. health care for 9 11 beyond first responders and others. Natural lives of, yeah. of anybody who would have responded. So that's good. It's something like 90 something years out from now. Yeah. So I think it, it will not have to be renewed again, which is great. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, but it is. It's crazy little, how the fallout of that that we didn't even understand at the time. Yeah. So we just wanted to add a couple corrections for the last episode. Do you want to hit yours first? Oh, yeah. Um. So my mom did clarify that the, the almost bisected woman that we were talking about, it was not it, – this is almost worse – but it was not a higher dosage that she had to justify necessarily. It was a higher dosage over time because she was trying to slowly, arduously wean this poor woman. So she was doing what the recommendation is, especially when pain levels are high or the injury is and high. And she had been taking painkillers beforehand, yeah. so she was already sort of immune to yeah. uh, the effects of painkillers. I think I think that's what your mom said. Right. So my mom said that it was, it was not just the dosage that raised a red flag and you know got her potentially watched by the licensing board nobody scolded her nobody like did anything that was a first step and i want to qualify that because big brother if you're listening she's all good but, <laughs> but she was saying that it was actually the weaning process which we've heard so many times now is the effective thing to do and this is not a far removed story this was recent that she was trying to wean and help this woman wean in a way that would allow her to not develop a dependency, and that was what raised a red flag. Or go through so. the effects of uh, going cold turkey, which we've heard are yeah, incredibly like painful and a terrible experience, like the worst flu you've ever had. Every day for two weeks is 20 times the worst flu. Yeah. And then if you don't do it, it's just facing that you have to do this again at some point, or you're an addict. Yeah. So Absolutely. Yeah, so that was my pseudo-correction. I have a small correction as well. Uh, I said that Ru- Rudy Giuliani's consulting firm helped Purdue Pharma settle in 2004. It was actually not in 2004. It was in 2002. There were several lawsuits, 2002, 2004, and 2007. The Attorney General of West Virginia filed a civil hmm. case against Purdue for misleading marketing, which they faced several times. And former Attorney General Eric Holder, who was working for a private practice, who was a private practice attorney at the time, he actually helped negotiate that settlement in 2004. So Rudy Giuliani's consulting firm was the firm that helped Purdue Pharma in 2002, and then Eric Holder helped negotiate in 2004. So that's a little bit different. I just wanted to clarify that. And looking into it, it looks like Eric Holder actually took a lot of flack for that even back when his appointment came about in the Obama administration, that that was the biggest blight that people found back then that he kind of went from defending the people at large to defending private big companies and that people didn't really trust him for doing that and i get that i understand that's yeah. a, that's a legitimate criticism rudy giuliani and Certainly. eric holder yeah. both helped negotiate settlements at different times i but would I, argue the one is more crazy viewing his 9-11 post today did, oh rudy my god giuliani. that Rudy Giuliani today tweeted a segment from a t-shirt commercial. Oh, is that what that was from? That was flagged during uh, – they weren't allowed to use it during the Super Bowl. They wanted it to be a Super Bowl commercial, and they wouldn't allow it in. Basically, a bunch of American citizens are on one side waving flags and holding up yeah, – yeah, holding up anarchy signs, holding up – you know your your fascist signs. The police are on the like other no side. No violence, sort of. Yeah. Yeah, and the police are on the other side in a line, and one of the protesters starts burning a flag, and you're watching the face of a police officer, and he's he's in seeing riot the flag. He's in riot gear. He's seeing the flag being burned, and then remembering when he was in the military and he saw the flag and when he was a kid he saw the flag and when he was playing football when he was playing football and he saw the flag and and so then at the very end the last clip and he smacks down his yeah. his riot his riot visor thing, yeah. and he snacks out his baton as the the other americans rush him and then there's supposedly some oh, uh, other american i mean he was defending a piece of fabric there was no american he was defending so basically this ad implies that the police officer in that situation is patriotic during this police v. citizens protesting clash. <laughs> the protest is unpatriotic. It's it's 
and it's that that correlates porn. to 9-11 and that, that that this is the right context to bring that up and it's incredibly the, tone deaf the tragic thing is and he got dragged for it to be the, fair the best thing and i would argue the only good significant thing you could say about giuliani at this point is that he held the city together he was america's 9/11. mayor after 9-11 so yeah. the fact that he would so now you're gonna just defame yourself but yeah, so, so that, those were some some minor tweaks to our story, and we do also want to say, uh, hoping against hope that we have our shit together enough to get this out before then. Uh, Chanel Miller is going to be interviewed on Sunday on sixty Minutes, CBS nine twenty two, September twenty second, and she is, she is the survivor that. Uh, testified against Brock Turner in his case. She was the woman who Brock Turner sexually assaulted. It was a very intense case. She was known as, I think, I believe Jane Doe at the time. I think she was Emily Doe. Emily yeah. Doe. And but she, she was raped outside a frat party unconscious in the trash by this boy who was then extolled by the judge and, and by the media, too, for being very, a Stanford swimmer and, you know, oh, a golden he a, boy. He has such a bright future ahead of yeah. him. And got sentenced and, to, what, two months of which six he Six months. And then oh, he of which he I served two. two. Yeah. Like that. Um, so he got he got a tiny sentence uh, because he was a, a white dude who had a, quote-unquote, bright future ahead of him. A smart boy After athlete. sexually assaulting a woman behind who had passed out behind a dumpster. And it just unquestionable circumstances. Like and he hurt, was caught hurt, by other classmates. Yeah, it was this... The the evidence was completely overwhelming and yeah. no question. Uh, he so she actually gave a testimony that was really moving at the time Over under the name Emily statement. Doe, mm-hmm. and uh, now she has come out. She's writing a book, and we'll give an interview on Sunday. So we just wanted to we just yeah, wanted so keep to keep an eye out for that. Yeah, and we'll revisit that for sure. Um, yeah, I want I want to watch. We're gonna we're both gonna watch the the uh, interview and then hopefully come back to that later. But we wanted to tease that a little bit. And he will. Uh, he's living it out in obscurity in Ohio with some family. I mean, the one thing is that even though he faced almost no justice in the criminal justice system, he probably, the rest of his life, it will follow him around. He did become the the poster child for that flaw. Yeah, it's the only light at the end of the tunnel here. Some public justice there. Uh, I wanted to move on. Really quick, I want to touch on a little bit of a Brexit update. Uh, We did an episode that covered Brexit in more detail, and we will hopefully do one again in October when there is more to talk about. But uh, Scotland's high... shit hits the fan. It's been hitting the fan for a while. That's true. Uh, Scotland's highest court ruled that Boris Johnson's prorogation of Parliament, which the Queen gave permission for was unlawful because it was motivated by, quote-unquote, improper purpose of stymieing Parliament. Can we define prorogation first? So... Closing the session of Parliament. uh, Everyone was kind of worried about this. Prematurely. Prematurely. Yeah. Uh, Everyone was worried about this because the decision needs to be made whether or not the UK is going to leave Europe either by way of a deal with the European Union or via hard Brexit, which would mean that they have no understanding of how trade will work, no understanding about how people will travel in between countries. There's a lot that will be up in the air if they do not come up with a deal. The deal has been voted on under Theresa May. It was was voted down three times. That's kind of why she had to cut and run. That's why she ended up ended up resigning. But under Boris, there's a it's a little bit more, I would say terrifying tenuous yes tenuous because he has nothing to lose i mean he has a lot because to lose, he has re- he, doesn't he care. has repeatedly said that he will leave on october 31st with or without a deal and he almost seems excited about the prospect of he's a hard brexit so i think that arms running into the absolutely fire. any party left of the brexit party should be concerned with the idea of getting to October 31st without a deal, and they should vote on a deal. They voted on two different bills about a week ago. One of them was a deal that would force Boris Johnson to extend the deadline on the on hard Brexit when they come back into when they would have come back into session on October 14th and basically if Boris came back with a deal the house would vote on it or they would if the house voted the deal down the house would then vote on no deal but I wanted to um thank my friend Jenna Pruitt who is a she's a scientist but she's also extremely invested in politics in Britain and she's been following this very uh, closely and she wrote a piece for ARC Digital called (laughs) Uh, WTF is going on in the UK and it is if you need a primer on this it is such a good deep dive into 
everything you need to know about Brexit. It was extremely enlightening. I would encourage you to read it. But she also walked me through this a little bit um, to explain what was going on in the UK. And we're just going to watch it. The, the UK Supreme Court will decide whether or not to uphold or overrule the Scotland High Court decision on uh, next Tuesday. And we and- also have not figured out why, and we're going to figure this out before we go any deeper in a future episode, but why it was Scotland's High Court that had this preliminary decision uh, about the prorogation and whether that was uh, done in a misleading way. I did see, just in preliminarily looking some stuff up, that there's this Operation Yellowhammer where documents were leaked really recently about Boris Johnson's intention in the prorogation and that it was probably because he wanted to delay because there was no deal and he wanted to push it out and out and out, which also ironically suggests that he has some awareness of uh what he's doing the consequences and and that this will not be good and that's another thing we should discuss that i think boris johnson will benefit from chaos i really do and he knows it that i know in the past we've compared him to trump and there certainly are some really really obvious and really accurate comparisons but i do think that boris johnson is a little bit more intentional and he knows that if they're laughing with you they're with you and so he fosters that so that's that's pretty crazy kudos to him for at least having it more together than our president in that sense but sometimes having it more together means that you are more effective and just evil yeah yeah and And also you misled the queen really badly for the for the british people yeah so scotland's highest court basically implied that he misled the queen so she would grant him permission to end the session of parliament early the fact that a, a high court found him guilty of of misleading the queen essentially like guilty is of so what? funny. First of all, I you misled the queen, sir. I how dare off you? Off with his head. Off with to his the head. tower with you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that was so Monty Python. <laughs> to the tower with you. So, silliness. Uh, no more silliness, please. I I first of all, why is she misleadable if she's in any position of lucidity? Also, I thought the whole point of the monarchy was that they don't get political because they sure as hell don't when people would like them to, like when Meghan Markle wants to be overtly feminist. Oh, yeah, so, it's so interesting that right around the time that Prince Andrew is being oh, yes. accused of sexually assaulting young children, Which I would say is ongoing. all the tabloids are so invested in Meghan Markle and everyone's so mad wow. at Meghan Markle right now, but they aren't talking about Prince Andrew. It's so convenient that they're all it's mad at Meghan bizarre, Markle right now. It, the position of the monarchy in general is is very weird to me. And the fact that they are apolitical, but they're also heads of state, but they're also kind of political, and also you can't mislead them if you're being political. Abolish the monarchy, uh, that's what I say. You don't need them. Just let them be hot. They spend so much, they spend so many taxpayer dollars. We don't, you just, if you must have a monarchy, let me be in it. And I can even do the wave. Hit it. You can, in in 20 years, you can marry the the baby. Which, what's the one's the baby? Mm. I don't even know. (laughs) <laughs> okay, we're moving on. I'm so sorry. Let's get serious. Emoluments. Okay, let's get into uh, the emolument clause. Uh, yeah, so... Mackenzie, my lawyer friend, my beautiful, brilliant lawyer friend, would you please explain the emolument clause to the people who are listening and myself? Yeah, and let's just give some background on why this has come up. Because, honestly, the other week when I heard that story uh, from David Farenthold, who is a Washington Post journalist, and he, I think he was the one who broke the pussy-grabbing story. He's, he was, yeah. Yeah, he's been doing a lot of work on on uncovering the skeletons from various closets related to the Trump administration. And he did an interview with NPR's Fresh Air, in which we got some of our, yeah. uh, our content from today. We got some of it from that. Um, I did look at his actual article, which I think predated the interview a bit. I think that's why they brought him on, yeah. It's a developing story. He, I think uh, he had a Pulitzer Prize for the yeah. uh, pussy-grabbing story. Yeah. Yeah, well, well-known journalists have been covering the Trump organization for a while now. Yeah, and so I was honestly a little surprised to be hearing about the Emoluments Clause. I remember hearing early in the Trump administration's uh, accession to power that the fact that he was not stepping down from his organization might raise all these issues, but I thought this was irrelevant. But in the last three or four episodes that we've done, we've been talking about these various ways that money in politics can have practical effects. Some examples being the NRA and the gun lobby, mm-hmm. uh, Russian influence obviously pervades everything. Big, big pharma, pharma, Soros, the Koch brothers, yeah. all of these, oh, yeah. all of these big impacts on. It seems like a lot of specific issues that we touch on. One of the big potential solutions, practical causes, 
is the influence of money and private business, things like that. So we're working backwards a bit, having seen all those things come up all the time. We're going to do a deeper dive into the actual issue next week, no delaying it anymore, but this is a good foray into it, segue Mm -hmm. in how the presidency and how the Trump administration specifically is abusing all these instrumentalities of money and politics. And just to start us off really quick, the the U.S. has two emoluments clauses. There's a foreign and there's a domestic. The foreign emoluments clause reads, no title of nobility shall be granted by the United States and no person holding any office of profit or trust under them shall, without the consent of Congress, accept of any present emolument, office, or title of any kind from any foreign state. So yeah, that's Article 1, Section 9, essentially prohibits anybody holding a federal office. Article 1 tends to be the more legislative... It's great. Once you get this down, it breaks down a lot of citations. Article 1 is legislative. Article 2 is executive. Article 3 is judiciary. You can break it down like that. So the domestic emoluments clause is Article 2 because it's about the president specifically. Even though, because he's also a federal official, you can apply both. The domestic emoluments clause... Article 2, Section 1 is also the clause that describes the salary limitations on the president. And it says that uh, the president can't receive gifts from any states or any one of the states. Unlike the Foreign Emoluments Clause, there's no congressional loophole. Because in the foreign version, which is essentially we can't get any benefits, any gifts. Emoluments is a broad term that basically meant at the time of the founding and still does benefits Mm -hmm. or influence profit advantage of any kind you know how much i love how vague so many of our laws are and how we just put these broad terms on them that can be abused and misused so many times It's interesting are you an anti-federalist you think things should be enumerated everything should be enumerated me Mm -hmm. personally yeah it sounds like because the foil drawback that would avoid vagueness is listing everything I don't think listing everything would because we're we should humans, read the Federalist Papers together. And we try, should. I don't do have an a, episode on the Federalist Papers. Yeah, I don't have I, a preference fully. But I, w- I don't feel I comfortable don't necessarily identifying as Federalist or Anti-Federalist, but I do think that our laws would benefit from a little more specificity in certain areas because very vague words or wording in our laws can be used to target certain people and help other people to escape but make sure that other by elimination is the concern so if you enumerate if they think of everything and i don't know because i don't think there is a right answer and i think the framers saw that to some extent in the Constitution was a balance that they struck. But if you enumerate speech, religion, association, property, and then you forget press, it's like, oh, shoot. Yeah. Then you got the square peg round hole issue where it's like, well, let's try to figure out what the things that we did enumerate, how to make it fit. But then when it's so specifically enumerated, it's so clear they didn't mean to put this in. I just think but that you so can many, never enumerate them so all. many laws are used to target certain kinds of people, usually poor people, often minorities, while other people are allowed to skirt laws because of how vague certain wording certain wordings of our laws are it is exploitable not that i think that the solution is more specificity and everything but i think that there are certain laws that we have that could benefit from a little more clarification if that makes sense yeah and the constitution being the most difficult of those laws because it is not easy to edit and it's very controversial to edit and the existing ones nobody's going to go back and rewrite them so that as always is where we start with a lack of specificity. If it's all right with you, I'm just going to continue to bitch about how vague things are and then not really identify a solution. I'm just going to continue to be mad I mean, about that's it. That's what the Federalist Papers were. <laughs> it's everybody bitching pseudo-anonymously about how there's no solution, but your solution is worse than mine. So that's my plan yeah. from here on out. Just hey, I got us the Constitution, so it can't be that bad, I right? just think things could be better. Is that a sin? Just things to be Call better. me crazy. <laughs> I'm joking. All right. Sue me. I'm I think so it could be better. Sorry to take the opportunity of thought. Please continue. No, no. Honestly, it's a great conversation to have, and it, it begs a lot of questions that I don't know how you answer. Um, So the OLC, again, we have a Justice Department opinion. It's the Kennedys. It's the OLC. Yeah. We have consistent themes. Weirdly honed itself. I don't I know, know it's, why. It's very, very niche. We couldn't those are have defined things. ourselves into that corner, but <laughs> here we are. There's a Justice 
Justice Department memo from 93 defining the emoluments clause, or both of them, as talking about emoluments in the broadest sense because the intention was to avoid untoward influence. That it's right. kind of an anti-corruption, anti-bribery intent behind both of these clauses, obviously. And that there are very few loopholes, the only one being Congress. It's pretty clear that when in doubt, we're going to err on the super cautious side. So that's where we were left. And, and there's a pretty good reason for it, because if you don't have that, I mean, the president becomes a bit of a monarch or at least a plutocrat because you can pay for influence. Absolutely. So I guess the question is, how does Trump uniquely not a plutocrat become a concern what about his circumstance makes him a unique problem when we talk about this clause such a unique problem one of the most interesting things about the trump unique problem trump you and i were talking about how dry and unsexy an issue the emoluments clause is and honestly i fall victim to it too i didn't know why we're talking about this again and in researching it there are no supreme court cases about the emoluments clause because it's never come up because nobody has even thought it's an honor system it's basically an honor system and we know what trump does with honor systems but also we were i was listening to a podcast that mackenzie sent me uh what trump can teach us about con law and in that episode they were talking about how hard it is to file a suit so three suits have been filed about the emoluments clause against the trump administration but they were talking about how difficult it is because you have to convince a court that the party that is filing a suit has to convince a court that they have standing. Um, a, they have standing, that they have an injury that the court can fix. They have to be the proper party to file the suit. So that and makes it even more difficult. That, when did we talk about that? We talked about that with um, Dick Heller. Oh, Remember? Yes. Because there were so many plaintiffs who really wanted to exercise that right, but they didn't really have an injury yet. And this, it became mostly an issue with the state of Maryland being a plaintiff because it was like, a, you're a state. But I actually found this fascinating. The reason yeah. why they thought that they were able to is that Maryland had a constitution before they joined the United States. And their constitution, yes. their emolument clause said that if a leader was found guilty of violating their emoluments clause in their state constitution, they would be exiled. This was talked about yeah. in, again, uh, what Trump, Trump can teach us about con law. So the reason why they felt that they had standing to file to a reach. suit was because when they were brought to the United States, they made an agreement that said that that the U.S. Constitution could not violate their own state constitution yeah, yeah, and or so endanger their own state cons- constitution. That's kind of a flawed argument anyways because of the supremacy clause that you cede any state rights that aren't preserved under the 10th Amendment and because we do have a constitutional right that supersedes it in the emoluments clause, it kind of goes away. I, and we saw reach, that play out. It was out. a reach of an argument. We saw that yeah. play out because in the July of this it. year, the Fourth Circuit dismissed Maryland's case. Maryland and the District of Columbia had filed yeah. this case together. The Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals dismissed their case, saying that they did not have standing. So that's the step under the Supreme Court. That's the circuit courts, large districts across the country, federal courts. That's the step right under. So that, yeah, there goes one of them. Some fun examples of how this has not been a problem in the past, because this is the most lively part, probably, of Emoluments Clause history. And this is one that I learned from the What Trump Can Teach Us About Con Law podcast, which ITA'd Con Law, and I didn't know this. So apparently the first time that this threatened coming up was when the King of Siam... Of the King and I. The King who inspired the King and I by getting down with his former governess had promised James Buchanan, when he was president, these two mateable elephants, uh, gift elephants, that could then be released into the wilds of our country and we could have wild elephants. But that was a personal gift to James Buchanan. It was right at the end of his term and Lincoln then, when he assumed office, said, you know, I don't feel proper about accepting this gift of elephants and thus doomed us from ever having a wild elephant population. His reasoning was that it wasn't hot enough in the U.S. to sustain an elephant population, but... In Texas, there is an elephant sanctuary full of elephants. So I our property at that point in Texas. Now there's an elephant sanctuary. When Lincoln made that call. Oh, was Texas. Yeah. Mm. Gaston Purchase was later. It certainly was not a state. But we had other southern states. Yeah. I'm going to die on this hill. They were going to try to secede shortly. So it's probably for the best that we didn't send northern elephants elephants into into the the southern states right before the Civil War. Oh, my God. Can you imagine 
Okay, this is just a complete sliding door scenario. What if during the Civil War, the elephant population exploded right before, as soon as Lincoln took office, they released these mating elephants into the wild in the South. The elephants exploded and started mating. And then during the Civil War, the South had elephants in battle. Wasn't this literally Emperor Hadrian? I mean, this is Lord of the Rings with their all No, I think Emperor Hadrian tried to use elephants in some famous battle. And he did really poorly because elephants weren't good at mountain warfare. (laughs) Elephants are like, uh, actually, we just like to get back to rolling in mud and being nice to each other. We have very deep feelings. Please don't use us in war. Yeah, during the Second Punic War, Hannibal famously led an army of war elephants across the Alps. Unfortunately, many of them perished. But that was the Alps. And he lost. <laughs> so basically, the South could never have used elephants in the North. But had they used them only in Southern warfare? It's the home turf advantage. It home really turf is. advantage with and elephants. And the elephant advantage. I'm going to say that maybe Abraham Lincoln, even though he deprived us of a wild elephant population, he may have saved the Union. The Union and by the denying them. clause, at least until Trump. Guys, so so the we, next we have time, to move on from elephants now, but yeah. we are trying to make this as sexy as possible by bringing oh, up elephants, okay? we got okay? Siam, we got Yule Brenner in The King and I, we got <laughs> Hadrian, uh, we're gonna move to another sexy dude, Jimmy Carter, those teeth, I, I have small love Jimmy teeth. Carter, honestly. He got those, I love Jimmy Carter. He has I don't even big to, teeth. Yeah. He's got those big teeth. You know, the grass is always what greener. What teeth so. do? That's what I want to ask. So he famously put his peanut farm, his humble Peanut nurtured. farm has a sexual connotation because we just walked off of the Listen, very sexual. I'm just saying. You do you, girl. Jimmy Carter had a peanut them farm. nuts. <laughs> he had a peanut farm. He um, voluntarily put it in a blind trust before assuming the presidency because he did not want to even threaten violating the emoluments clause. A blind trust, you, you vest it in trustees who are controlling your business interactions so you don't have any involvement there's no risk of conflict of interest because you don't even know the business dealings of this business that you formerly had control over so just no involvement at all they actually appointed a special counsel a couple years into his presidency to investigate because there was some like oh my god we were so bored can you imagine draft of a check that his son wrote can you imagine being so bored as a country that a special counsel is appointed to investigate jimmy carter's peanut farm oh and guess what they found absolutely no evidence of a violation that's because Jimmy Carter, I'm going to say this flat out, fully believing it, Jimmy Carter is the best former president that's still living. Absolutely. I think that's fair. 100%. I think another thing that this parlays nicely into is that he is one of three Nobel Prize laureates. So we got Obama, another living president who won. And this does raise some emoluments clause issues, but I'm going to have we'll you get guess the third one because I did not know. Okay. Um, third. When was the Nobel Peace Prize... When, when did they start doing that? Let's do turn of the century, you're safe. Hmm. FDR? No. Back further. But not that much further. Okay, I get one more guess. There's no way it's Hoover. Uh-uh. Ooh. I'm just going to tell you, it was Woodrow Wilson. Fuck Woodrow Wilson. Are you For serious? For, like, League of Nations Treaty of Versailles stuff. Oh, my God. I should have guessed that first. But secondly, I, what? When, yeah, when I heard that, I was like, oh, I guess so. But even Woodrow though that Wilson did not pan out well. Sucked. I know. He was kind of isolationist. <laughs> and League of Nations Treaty of Versailles ended up creating World War II. But... He won, and that was another question, because the Nobel Peace Prize, only Nobel Prize that is Norwegian and not Swedish, which is weird, but Alfred Nobel, it was his money that created the trust for these prizes, so it is not a foreign government that endows them. It is... I thought the... So, actually, this gets us into the next thing. David Farenthold was incorrect about that in his appraisal. Okay, Mm -hmm. that makes more sense. Okay, so... Yeah, so that was how the administration... Obama had to seek Another the advisement LLC, of yeah. ethics advisors before accepting the 2009 Nobel Peace Prize. Because Even though the, it had been done twice before. So look at how carefully they yes. treaded around this Everybody issue. Everybody is, is just honoring this honor system. You know, this reminds me kid of. kid gloves. Yeah. Trump reminds me of how if you're in a family. Goofus. The older kids are always super, they're like the trial kids, right? Yeah. Where like, they're always the ones who get the most 
the hardest punishments, the most responsibility. They're like they, they're the, the idealized children, and, the, yeah. and then the baby of the family just gets to do whatever like, yeah, they whatever, want. Kid. Yeah, sure, go out and party till two a.m. or go, you know, drive a car into right. a, a tree and then come home and be like, "Sorry, I wrecked your Subaru, Mom. I'm sorry." The difference like, between I didn't mean throwing to. out the bottle that fell on the ground and just licking off the, the pacifier, yeah, right. like that is Trump. It feels like they're everyone else is the older children who have to blindly feel their way through the rules try not to get in trouble and then trump is like i'm the baby of the family i'm gonna do whatever the fuck i want But the analogy dies when sometimes younger children and youngest children do okay whereas trump as the youngest child equivalent is a hellfire just humor me in this i think (laughs) it holds up until that point that we all die with him a lot of younger children are fine it's true i'm not i'm not shout out to my mom and my husband demonizing all the babies of the family and actually this reminds me of something i wanted to bring up earlier a welder dm no sorry i mean yes but not right now okay fine later a welder dm'd me and i want to clarify that we are very pro welder on this podcast we made fun of facebook shirts a couple oh no we're making ago. fun of the shirts so a lot of the shirts have like i'm a welder on them and that's the only reason so why i brought specific. up welders i went to a community college where we had an excellent welding program one of my first stories was about our welding program which helped so many people i love welders you guys are skilled workers it's an amazing thing you Actually, do teach you play me more with fire it. yeah like show me how to weld please because i do soldering stuff and one time i dripped a little bit of lead on my finger and Gee, why are you always trying to fuck up your fingers kenzie why are you always trying to mess up your oh, fingers no. maybe if the welders would teach me a thing or two i wouldn't do it so anyway i just want to clarify that we were very pro welder oh, yeah, and we're pro baby of the family just in this instance as a reference point to what i'm talking about trump Heck is like yeah. the baby of the family president anyway he's moving getting on. coddled as such that's for sure that's right so obama sought out this opinion was like uh even though two prior presidents have accepted the nobel peace prize specifically am i gonna violate it being super super careful olc said no because this is a private committee that provides the money neither and he donated the entirety of the 1.4 million u.s dollars he received through the nobel peace prize to charity uh, yeah. that's documented so he actually did not take any of it on he actually personally didn't take any and and that was his publicized plan too but neither the swedish government which is the rest of the nobel prizes nor the norwegian government has any hand in uh funding it or selection of the laureates so it was not a government thing that was involved in the nobel prize we that does make it a little different than what we might experience if right say all the foreign government officials who have rented rooms at trump hotels which is what we're about to get into and it's also not addressed by either clause because the clauses the foreign one addresses foreign governments The domestic one addresses state governments and a collective thereof. So, yeah, uh, on the other hand, Trump at the beginning of his presidency, he did this weird double talk that now is so recognizable, probably was to some of us even back then. But he's like, "I, I don't have to get rid of my business interests. There's nothing that says I have to. But I never would mix business and politics. Even I though promise. technically the emoluments clause in many ways would prevent him from. Oh, yeah. He already was like laying the groundwork of his own way out. But that's what he does. He yeah. says, I'm not breaking the law, but just to be extremely generous I'm in my not breaking of the law. Yeah. I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. Which really would not be necessary to say if you weren't going to do anything, A, or if you weren't actually breaking the law, why do you have to say it? It's like. Mom, I'm not breaking the rules by staying out to 10 p.m. Exactly. But I won't stay out to 10 p.m. I'm going to come home at 9, even though my curfew is at 8.30. All right, first child. That's some first child <laughs> talk there. I recognize that. Um, yeah, he started with that. But essentially, he was saying that he would self-police. And in doing so, he said he would not give up control of the Trump organization he didn't give up any interest in his real estate developments that are connected to it. In fact, he has spent, according to David Farenthold, he has spent, as of August of 2019, 250 days of his presidency at one of his golf resorts. Which also, side note, raises the question, how is he not the best golfer in the world at this point? Isn't it a, a thousand hours of something makes you an expert? And yet, for all the hours that this buffoon has spent golfing, he's still abysmal. Honestly, it's, well, 
Does he ever really try? I think that he mostly just assumes that people are going to like He makes the plaques that say that he won. Yeah. So that's enough. Also, just the if Obama did it game is it doesn't mean anything at this point because we've done I it so think many it does. times. He wore a tan I suit. say it a lot. We even like today, so Trump 9/11 was today, the 18th anniversary was today, and Trump released this photo of him and Melania standing like staring over a field and it said like never forget. And someone mentioned how during Obama's presidency the right flipped their shit every time Obama released something on the anniversary of anything or memorializing anything where he had himself in the photo and they're like he's such a narcissist even if he was just in the photo kind of as a part of the photo if he was in the photo it was like narcissistic meanwhile everything Trump does is centered on himself and overtly so I mean the big gaffes that I recall of Obama's presidency that weren't related to policy were the tan suit debacle in which he wore a tan suit and uh when he saluted somebody in good form while getting off Air Force One but had his coffee cup in his hand and I will say Obama droned American citizens like Obama the Obama administration droned American citizens and also had a ton of policy issues that were not if we're talking about equivalency between these social and that's why I, I say I'm, not policy related right. I, I don't want that to we're give talking the about impression social gaps. no absolutely social gaps and double standards far, for party lines have, and I think decorum in an implicitly racist way that no, there absolutely. is uh, he's not dignified enough and he's too narcissistic and he's not formal enough but when it's rich white boy who happens to be a republican too Oh, it's he's just fine. brash. He just says what he means. Right. He's just he's just he's just like a cuff. We can just we can just believe him because he never has anything rehearsed. He sounds like that us. kind of thing. Yeah. So I, I don't want to give the impression that we think the Obama administration was perfect, and I'm sure at some point we will get to the the deeper issues I had with many other policies. Sure. Yeah. But absolutely, we have a double standard when it comes to Trump, and the right was so much harder on Obama about every single thing he did. And that permeates policy and non-policy. Trump is is celebrated when he does not fall on his face. Like the, uh, what was it, the Normandy anniversary or something. Like, actually, that was a coherent speech. Wow, he read a speech without ad-libbing something Wow, he didn't insult prisoners of war during that speech in front of a bunch of prisoners of war. That was amazing. So He's growing as a boy. Yeah, (laughs) look at this big grown boy. The big grown boys, uh, the only trade-off of of power, such as it was, in the Trump organization was that day-to-day function was taken over by his large adult sons. Um, Mostly Eric. Dumpy Jr. and Eric. And that really was just, you know, it's a practical consideration because now daddy has to spend all his time on the toilet tweeting and doing presidential stuff like that. So he uh, can't be com- doing. Because that's completely unfair. It's executive time. He also time. tweets from the golf course. So daddy's on his executive bowl right now. <laughs> don't call. Don't call again, my son. Oh, uh. <laughs> And we don't even call them sons because, as Trump said of his child, Baron, his minor child with you know, his Melania current wife. Melania has a son together. He said, she has a you son. Know, he pointed to Melania and said, she has a son. Together. Together. A very nice boy. <laughs> I'm sure he's very I fine. I so bad for Baron. We can move on. Sorry. It's fine. Ba- poor Baron. He'll come oh, around God. to the same I level know, of... Hopefully. We don't know what's going to happen to Baron. Well-funded immunity. Okay, um, so... So he's, If we could just get into... Really quick, I just wanted you to describe... So, Trump has multiple properties... Yes. ...across, across the United Business States. Business properties. And... Many of them hotels and resorts. Yeah. Foreign officials have stayed at these properties, spending large amounts of money, mm-hmm. renting out these rooms. Corporations have rented out these rooms when the Sprint and T-Mobile agreement was being discussed by the administration. So it needed, it was this merger between Sprint and T-Mobile, needed approval from the Trump administration to make T-Mobile a huge amount of money because they were jumping on a cash cow, which I guess one of them is. I don't know. I have AT&T, so I can't be throwing stones. I got Verizon. It's fine. Unbiased. Yeah. The Trump administration approves this merger. The next day, T-Mobile executives book a huge amount of rooms in Trump hotels for a conference. And as was mentioned in the NPR Fresh Air episode, this kind of implied that people, whether or not it was true, people thought that they could buy influence through the Trump hotels. Who said what, what was expressly said or what was implied, who knows. And at the very least, it's money into the president's pocket and it's money that he may or may not have known was going to go into his pocket. Another big well, one... Well, Trump said that when foreign officials stay in his 
his hotels. He was going to pay whatever profit came of that to the treasury. The problem with that is that it's extremely hard to figure out to what quantify. is profit and what yeah. is revenue and what, what they're and actually they spending at those their records. And this is where it kind of crosses over with the whole expose your tax returns thing. And there's some ongoing cases with that. In fact, just today there was a development in the one with uh, New York's tax return law and we know that trump yeah. is obsessed with the idea of loyalty so even if he's not making right. money off of it these shows of loyalty by heads of corporations absolutely by by government officials staying in his hotels is almost a signal to say we're on your side we are with you and we we are going to stay in your hotels to prove that we want it's to support symbiosis. you it's a symbiosis it's a tacit endorsement back and forth between the two so we have every facet we've got like private corporations we have domestic individuals and office holders so William Barr the uh, attorney general the attorney general who everybody thought well maybe he's qualified because at least he's I mean before. we were going from Jeff Sessions yeah we thought there only could be up he at that must point. be the clear-headed one that was before just, we knew about Donald Barr and Jeffrey Epstein. Right, so and also on. there was some other thing. Oh, with Mueller, with him totally misrepresenting the the results of that yeah. in his memo to couch it. Um, just total coincidence, he happened to have booked his annual holiday party that brings in tens of thousands of dollars at a Trump hotel. It, it just he just happened to find the Trump hotel as the venue this year. So you got him. And then you have foreign governments and foreign government officials booking rooms. And even most recently, Mike Pence booked yeah. rooms in the... In Dunbeg. At the uh, Scottish Hotel? I think it's Irish. So it was Trump's resort in this really random, otherwise off-the-beaten-path Irish town. Which is not doing well. The yeah. hotel is not doing well. And it so was not the fact otherwise that the Pence family the stayed trip. there. It's not just the VP then, which think about the fact that the president is the vice president's boss. So where is he going to stay? Uh, it's Secret Service. It's all the staff. It's, you know, it's Air Force Raj. Two. The and vice this is taxpayer plane. money yes. that's being spent on at we least Pence and Secret Service staying there. They will not expose any financial records. So it's basically them telling us on their honor, which they have not honored at any point before or since, that they're doing something to offset it. And as so, Evan Farenholt said, at many points during this, whenever Trump would go down and stay at one of his hotels at Mar-a-Lago or otherwise, yeah. they would spend up to the cap of what you could yes. spend at a private organization. Right. And they would just say... That, that cap every time. Yeah, they would always just say, oh, well... well we, we won't overtax you. No, absolutely. But we're going to spend the absolute biggest amount we possibly... The, the so largest we amount we can. we won't screw over the government, but we're just going to push it to the limit. And then it turns out, I thought these were the same incident. I texted Brooke right before we got here there also was this thing where the air force made an unscheduled stop at a different resort that belonged to trump in scotland and that was not scheduled it's never been made it was on a trip to the middle east it was not accounted for by any like mechanical failures or anything that the staff knew or that the service men and women knew they just were told to stop here and they had a very long layover that ended up funding this resort and they stayed there for a while. And so that's being investigated as well. Because every time you hear about government officials, that means it's taxpayer dollars funding absolutely. Trump's private industry. So just... Oh, we should mention Doral, too. The G7. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So at the recent G7 meeting in France, Trump... G7 is the group of seven. It's kind of the seven established leaders. powers that we have self-established. Now, sans Russia. They meet every year, and we're going to host the next meeting in the U.S., and Trump offered his own establishment what as a place to meet. It? I thought this was great. Oh, he said the most recent being his long ode to Doral. He just went on this weird rant about how great Doral was and how we should have it at his resort. Which may or may not have a bed bug problem, by the way. Oh my god. It's, yeah, so it's it's not good enough at the risk of sounding elitist in a way that I certainly am in no position to be. It's not good enough in the sense that there was a bed bug infestation recently. Revenue fell there. $17 million over the two years before Trump assumed the presidency. There's not enough space. Usually at the G7, each of the seven 
gets a hotel, gets yeah, as, a luxury as hotel. Mentioned, yeah, they each have their own hotel, and even if you separate things, it's There's it's leaders and their entire entourage of people, which means and you security, need luxury, family, these staff. are the best of the world. These are the elite of the world, and also we're selling ourselves when we are the host country. It's kind of like, like the Olympics. Olympics but oh my god! Yeah, boom, M- mind melds. See, we've synced periods, we've synced minds. It's gross. It's- yeah, <laughs> we're sorry about it, and my body's really mad at me about it. You know, I guess Rook is the alpha moon woman. <laughs> Um, it's fine. I blame Big Pharma. Yeah. But it's not, it's not big enough. It's not nice enough. And we are selling our own economic prowess at things like this. Frankly, at the end of the day, it's Trump totally forswearing any promise that he made to keep his business interests separate. Right, because he is as literally we selling have mentioned before, at the beginning of his administration, yeah. before his inauguration, he said that he would not violate the Emoluments Clause because... Because he just wouldn't. He just wouldn't. He and and this don't is don't you just trust him? He's he never oh lies. He's right. the man has never told a lie. He's the honest day of the twenty first century. Of doing He's what never told a every lie. other president did ahead of time, which is Obama asking for the OLC opinion to see if he could win the Nobel Prize properly. Jimmy Carter putting his humble little peanut farm in a blind trust. Lincoln not accepting super cool breeding elephants. Uh, you know, that may or may not have been used in the Civil War later. Yeah, all those yeah. rules are for presidents who for don't chumps. have extremely fervent bases who will uh, follow everything he says and not question anything. So Woo-hoo! we have to wrap up here. But to give an update on the lawsuit, so that three lawsuits were filed within the last few years since the Trump administration uh, took became the administration in power they, their reign began in in 2017 a, a lawsuit by the citizens for responsibility and ethics and government in washington was shot True. down by a federal court the second lawsuit which was the maryland and dc lawsuit was the dismissed one can be revived is that accurate i don't think so the way that i so heard at it this point summarizes I think it's it, dead one can be revived one was outright dismissed and i believe that was maryland in the fourth circuit and that one is on hold so 200 Democratic members of Congress have also sued. This is the third lawsuit, and they are still being considered. Mm. Uh, I believe the other two are dead. So it's one It's one lawsuit we'll check left. Back on that. Yeah. And again, the, the party that's suing has to prove that they have experienced injury that the court can remedy and that they are the proper party to file a lawsuit, which is extremely difficult in yeah. this clause specifically. I don't think it's impossible. And let me think on this before next week about how to encapsulate who, standing. Yeah, who, honestly, would have good who standing? would have good standing? For things like constitutional violations and presidential violations thereof, it's very tough to put your finger on who would have an individual loss. Think about... Florida, like Bush v. Gore, yeah. that obviously the opposing candidate would. So it's other candidates who lost offices, competing hotels, maybe somebody who didn't benefit from the T-Mobile deal. So where I would look is um, usually taxpayer status is not enough for standing, but on something like this, when it's a constitutional violation that really does directly implicate payment, there are unique stances that people could have. The best one I can think, honestly, is other embassy hotel options. It's like a Holiday Inn, maybe. Yeah, if if you could say, hey, they were entertaining me, you make them a test plaintiff or something. Holiday Inn, get on it. Yeah. Jesus. The, The DC Holiday Inn. Otherwise, the choice of the Saudi embassy, but for the Trump administration. And the Saudi embassy was another government officially oh yeah another group of government officials who coincidentally these are all the ones who book it's kuwait it's all these big Middle nigeria Eastern oil companies or countries same difference and then it's countries run by strongmen because the philippines under duterte they also booked the, the philippines Trump nigeria Hotel. saudi yeah. arabia you know best yeah. of the best mm-hmm. anyway this so, is the world in which we live we'll, we'll <laughs> keep it updated and again this does connect to the whole give us your gd tax returns issue um well staying clean for the kids i like it give us know. your gd tax returns honestly Mister, you're bleeping tax it, returns okay, so let's say if there are trump supporters who listen to us i'm speaking to you why doesn't trump release his tax returns what is he hiding from you as a voter 
Why don't you want to see them? I want to see them. I do want to see them. I want to see every president's tax returns. He, he yeah. should release his tax returns. He has power it is, over us. Like, come if on. he really is so transparent, this is not about anything else. It's and he's about not the fact a deity. that he is this so is not about blind faith. He's so protective to... of his tax right. returns. Why? And fighting so hard against the laws that require him to reveal them. So New York has a new law that requires his at least state tax returns to be released. I believe California... And he's been fighting that ever since it was introduced. Yes. In fact, he tried to... Oh, my God. I was talking to my coworker about this today. Trump challenged it in the district court for the District of Columbia. So the federal court in D.C., Whereas this is a state law in New York. So New York contested it and was like, hey, uh, this is not the proper court to be bringing this in. And guess who is the judge in the district court in the District of Columbia case? A Trump appointee. So Mm. a Trump appointee. I mean, you see how all these different machinations start to connect because a Trump appointee will be the one deciding where we should hear the challenge to this New York law. We that should do an Trump. episode about who has who Trump has appointed because yeah. so oh many judges have been appointed for lifetime terms under Trump. And he's going younger than any previous appointees. He's making it more political than any previous appointees. He's taking recommendations from partisan interest groups on appoint. I mean, he had a list from a it's partisan strategy. group for appointees, yeah. which is unheard. It's never been done before. So, yeah, we're going to hell uh, in a hand basket. Next stop Not is even the, uh, a hand basket, just a big old dumpster floating toward Hades yeah. on the River Styx. In a hey, that's kind of fun, dumpster. though. Hades Town, highly recommend it. Check it out if you're into musicals or Greek mythology. All right, folks, uh, mm-hmm. we love you so much. Mm-hmm. We have just, social media accounts. Yeah, we have social media accounts. We post butt Brooke. pics and cat pics. <laughs> Only exclusively butt pics and All cat pics. I don't have cats, but I did see a good cat. But she has a oh, butt. Oh, there's a bodega that is near the studio, oh. and I'm obsessed with her cat. And I it's found such out their cats. Cat. It's a calico cat. It's so pretty. I pet him every time I go in there. It's really sturdy. His name is Ash, which is a horrible name for a That's cat. That's stupid. So I am crowdsourcing better names. Just so you all know, he does sit on a shelf like a little loaf of bread when he's sleeping in this bodega. And I want to get... Beef baby. I want to just call him loaf. He's a little loaf of beef. He's a little loaf. A beef loaf. But I am crowdsourcing better names for this cat than Ash. Or beef I do loaf. not accept <laughs> that his name is Ash. If we'll you have try thoughts to find or opinions, some pics of him and add it to my cat oh, coterie. Oh, next time I'm at the bodega, I will absolutely take a pic of the cat that is not named Ash. And we can go from there. But, yes. folks... So good to talk, good to hear from you. Brooke's Twitter is BKE Rogers. I recently wrote a piece on Monica Lewinsky. It's, it's really well out. written, and I think it'll appeal to both sides. So wherever you're coming at it, it's fine. But you should, it. if you want to read it, it's on my Twitter, BKE Rogers. Um, my Instagram is Brooke Angeline McKenzie. I am. Get me number two, a nunnery. Get me to a nunnery. Yeah, but with the number. And two. my Instagram is MKZJ Brennan. And um, DM us, email us, review us. We love to hear from you. We love feedback. We love all of you. Stay informed, friends. Stay lovely. Don't die out there. Bye. Bye. I'm gonna pee now. Drink pumpkin beer.